Ladies and gentlemen, the regular season is over. It's time to get ready for the playoffs, and Inside the Pylon, the podcast is ready to get you up to speed with everything you need for all of the big matchups coming up on Wild Card Weekend. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here, and Mark, uh, we have finished Week 17. It's time for the real deal now. And you stepped up the game with that intro, man. That was impressive. I've been working out the pipes, man. I'm glad you noticed. I did. That, that was well done. Let's uh, let's let's first cover the topic that everyone wants to know about. Uh, no news from Taylor Swift today for me. Nothing from Adele for me, man. I feel like uh, that's about all the time we need to spend on that. We've spent yeah, too much time this on. year. Let's move on. Get right to football since we obviously have a lot to cover this week. Uh, I want to talk first about a matchup from uh, Week 17 that we had touched on a little bit during our show last week, and this was the divisional showdown between the Vikings and the Packers, where really I, I think that you know we had, we had talked over the course of this season that this Vikings team was maybe a year away from, from being the type of contender that I think we, we think they can be. But they came in here and ended up winning the NFC North after uh, defeating the Packers. Yeah, that was a, a great performance from them. I mean, to go, you know, into Lambeau Field, primetime audience, last game of the season, and win the division the way they did. Um, a, a very impressive performance. But I, I don't know if the takeaway from that game is more about Minnesota and what they've done right or Green Bay and what's going wrong with them in that offense. Well, and, and here's what I was going to ask you, because obviously holding the Packers to 13 points at Lambeau Field, you say, wow, that must have been a tremendous performance by the defense. But from what I saw, it didn't appear to me that it was so much what Minnesota was doing, but more just some ineptitude by the Packers in terms of trying to get any type of real offense going on a consistent basis. Yeah, and I think part of that had to do with they had to make some changes up front. I mean, they had Sitton, um, who's normally a guard, um, having to play left tackle for yep. them. And that posed to be a, a tough matchup. He was going up against Everson Griffin. Uh, Brian Philpack wrote a great article on him for us. It's up on Inside the Pylon that people can find on our website, breaking down how he's one of the game's better pass rushers right now. And the big play in that game was Griffin beating Sitton getting to Rodgers, forcing a strip sack of a fumble that could return for a touchdown to push that lead to 20-3. to Ended up being the kind of the game-winning score. So, you know, and looking at what Green Bay is doing on offense, we had Doug Farrar on last week who talked about sort of the problems in their passing game and the route structures. Guys aren't getting separation when they do. Rodgers is missing on some throws. He had a chance, obviously, a red zone interception where if he puts the ball to the outside, maybe Rodgers catches a touchdown pass their tight end. Another th- chance late in the game in that final drive, he had Rodgers again deep, uh, seam route, working in one-on-one against a safety. If you at least keep it in the, in, in the field of play, he's got a chance to make a play in the ball or draw a pass interference, but throw sales out of bounds. I mean, it's just all these things keep adding up, and it's it's kind of been a theme when we talk about Green Bay. It's all the little things add up to one big thing, and in this case, it's a bad big thing. Yeah, and, and from my perspective, you look at this, and the win for Minnesota means they're actually going to be hosting a playoff game against the Seahawks. We're going to have Danny Kelly from Field Goals coming on in just a little bit with us to talk about that. But Minnesota gets its first home playoff game since, I'm trying to think, you probably have to go back to, to what? It's got to be the 01 or 02 season, somewhere in that ballpark? Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, the Randall Cunningham... Randy Moss Randy era? Moss days, yeah. It's, it's got to be back then. So they're a little bit ahead of schedule here. And I guess when, when you talk about facing the Seahawks team, and we'll have Danny on to, to really dig into this, 
but that's going to be a tough matchup from a team that looked pretty good against Arizona last week. Yeah, that's going to be a really tough matchup. And, you know, somebody said this on Twitter before that game kicked off Sunday night. It was almost like you'd rather lose that game, you know, because Green Bay, yeah, they lose the game. They lose the division. They get a trip to Washington. Yep. Yep. You know, yeah. and by winning the game, Minnesota, yeah, they get win the division. You know, obviously it's nice to win the division and you want to win games. You play to win the game, you know, Herm Edwards style. But then you get rewarded with Seattle, arguably one of the hottest teams in football right now. We've got two really good six seeds in this playoffs, by the way. But, you know, Seattle comes to town as the six, and that's the reward. So Yeah, it's 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 going to be a very interesting matchup there. What I wonder, and when you talk about the Vikings and what they have to do in this game, obviously uh, facing a Seattle team that has been resurgent in the second half of the year after some early season struggles here. And in particular, you look at the defensive numbers that they've put up here, giving up in their last uh, five games, 7, 6, 13, 17, and 6 points. So you talk about whether or not Teddy Bridgewater is going to be able to get the ball moving against them and whether Adrian Peterson's going to be able to find running room against that tremendous Seattle front. Th- there's some real questions as to whether Minnesota has a, a, a good chance in this game here, even though it's at home. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of questions. And, you know, a big part of that is going to be on, on the flip side, you know, how that Minnesota offense, you've, you've talked about that, but that defense, that Minnesota defense, Marshawn Lynch is back practicing now. Can those young linebackers kind of slow down that, you know, what Seattle likes to do with the ground game and, you know, building and play auction, play action once they get the pat, run game going? Definitely, definitely. And the good news now is that we are joined by our first guest of the day. It is Danny Kelly from FieldGoals.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at FieldGoals. And Danny, I appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Danny, we were just uh, talking a little bit about this game that is going to be coming up this week against uh, the Vikings. I want to get to that in a bit, but first, it's got to be a pretty exciting uh, week for Seattle fans with the the thrashing uh, of the Cardinals on Sunday here. Yeah, that was uh, it was definitely cathartic or whatever. It, it because the Seahawks obviously didn't play very well the week before in uh, against St. Louis, and St. Louis always kind of gives the Seahawks problems, but. The uh, Cardinals are obviously playing really well, too, and so I think a lot of people kind of went in expecting that the Seahawks might get blown out, you know, because the Seahawks haven't actually been blown out in about three years. So um, some of the talk before the game was, oh, this might be the, this might be the game where they finally lose by more than 10, and, um, but turns out the Seahawks were <laughs> definitely ready for that one, and uh, the Cardinals didn't really put up much of a fight. So that, that was a pretty, pretty fun game for a lot of Seahawks fans. Was there anything in particular that impressed you in uh, the last game on either side of the ball? I think it was just good to have Russell Wilson kind of get back in his groove. Um, you know, he, he had a five or six week stretch there, five week stretch where he was playing just out of his mind, um, setting all kinds of NFL records in terms of what his statistics were and, um, you know, touchdown passes to interceptions and all that. And so, uh, it was good to see him kind of get back on, on track. And the, and the offensive line played a lot better than we were expecting just because they were out. Russell Okun and J.R. Sweet did left half on night guard. Um, so they had backups in there, and, and they did a good job of protecting him. So I think overall those two things were, were the main thing. And then obviously getting Kristen Michael going, had over 100 yards rushing. That was good. Um, so after obviously down to, I guess he'd be technically about their third or fourth string guy now after losing Lynch early in the season and then Thomas Rawls. Um, so, yeah, getting Christian Michael going was cool. 
Danny, now you guys get rewarded with a little trip to Minnesota this weekend. It looks like it's going to be in the single digits, uh, cold environment, got to go on the road. Is this team capable of winning three straight road games to get back to a third straight Super Bowl? I, I do think they're capable of it, yeah. And it, it kind of, you know, obviously anything can happen when you get to the playoffs. But the Jets have been playing really well on the road this year, um, almost better than on the on the at home, which is kind of crazy because the last couple of years the Jets have been almost invincible at home. But um, yeah, they've been playing really well on the road. They kind of have a they they have like the chip on their shoulder mentality. I think going into this thing as the sixties. So um, I do think it's possible. Obviously, it's going to be really really tough for them. Um, but with the way that they match up, I guess I think they match up well with the Vikings. Um, then they would have to go to Carolina, I think, uh, next week. So I think those two teams they match up well against. They kind of those are teams that they're built to beat. So um, I do think that they can do it if, if they continue to play well. If Russell Wilson plays well, I've said over the last probably about month that if Russell Wilson keeps playing the way he's playing, it's, I don't know who's going to beat him, honestly. So. Um, you know the Rams aren't in the playoffs. Thank God. It is. It has been a very difficult road against the Rams there. But the uh, the Seahawks did play the Vikings. I believe it was five weeks ago, uh, beating them by a score of thirty eight to seven up in Minnesota, actually. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see if you had any insight as to the type of strategy that the Seahawks use there, and whether that attack may work again uh, in the upcoming weekend. Yeah, one of the reasons I like the the matchup for the Seahawks is because last the last time they played, basically what their their goal was to do was to take Adrian Peterson out of the game and make Teddy Bridgewater beat them, and, and um, it worked. I mean, so so basically, I think that was uh, Bridgewater's worst performance, or sorry, it was it was Peterson's worst rushing performance of the year, and I think it was his worst rushing performance in like since like his rookie year or something like that. So the Seahawks definitely shut him down. They were really happy about that, and then. Um, uh, Bridgewater just didn't have a very good game either. He had like a hundred low hundreds in passing yards. I think he had a pick, and um, the only points that the Vikings scored was on a was on a hundred yard kick return by Cordell Patterson. So um, that would be the game plan again, I believe. You know, take away Adrian Peterson as, as much as you can. Obviously, he's hard to stop, but uh, contain him as much as you can, and then uh, put the put the game in Teddy Bridgewater's hands. And, and we saw last week, you know, even though. They beat the, the Packers. He he didn't. He wasn't particularly impressive. I think he had like 99 passing yards on the day. Um, so I, I imagine that will be the game plan again. Let or try and get Teddy Bridgewater to beat you, and if, and if you can, pass off to them. But um, that will be the goal for sure. Danny, looking at the Seattle offense, it looks like Marshawn Lynch is back at practice this week. Do you think he'll be a big part of that game plan? One of the things you, Seattle has to look at is that young sort of athletic linebacker core. Do you think Lynch can factor into that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, last last game I believe they still had Rawls, but um, I think it, it is going to be a big part of the game plan. Pete Carroll said the other day uh, in his press conference that, you know, they called 37 runs last week, and, and, and Marshawn Lynch is probably going to want to try and get 25 of those if they do that again this week. So um, I think he's going to factor in big. I think they'll still run Kristen Michael because, um, you know, I think he earned that, that opportunity. But, um, you know, this is this has been Marshawn Lynch's offense for the last three years. So getting him back in there is going to be good. And I think the offensive line really responds to having him in there. They like to block for him because he's, you know, just so hard to bring down and just the physicality that he runs with, they, that really – it's something they feed off of. So overall, I think you know, it just makes it just makes the Seahawks harder to game plan for when you have Lynch in there. So I imagine that even if you know, 
they, they limit his carries somewhat. I think he is going to factor into the game plan. He's a really good receiver out of the backfield, too. Um, you know, there's a lot of things they can do with him. So he's, he's just a really good player. So I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't, you know, include him pretty pretty much. Danny, as you as you mentioned earlier, Russell Wilson had bounced back last week and, and really had had a very strong season over much of uh, the 2015 campaign here. What do you think has been the key for him this year in terms of being able to put up the numbers that he has, in particular after Jimmy Graham went out, who was expected to be a big part of the offense that you know maligned whether, whether it was justified or not, you know, not really the point here, but what do you think has been the key for Wilson? Well, I think it's, it's always, as is with most things, it's a lot of things, but I think the the main things are, one, I think the Seahawks, during their bye week, got together and, and kind of adapted their offense to have it uh, – have him get the ball out faster. They they designed plays that had him, you know, getting into his five step drive and hitting hitting his back foot and getting the ball out. Um, and you know, obviously that's a that's a mental thing for him. He has to trust his receivers. And I think he started to do that a lot more. Um, but they also, um, you know, came up with some some play designs using trips formations and um, you know pick plays type things, legal pick plays. <laughs> but uh, I think that. Overall, it, it's been a combination of that, getting the ball out quicker, and then the offensive line really has improved, and that's been huge, giving him a pocket. Um, you know, he's not running for his life after one second. He's not seeing free rushers in his face like every two snaps. Um, so that, that those are the two big things for me, I think. And, and um, you know, I just, I don't for whatever reason, he's in the zone. He's really seen the field really well all of a sudden. Um, I don't know how you can explain that, but he really is. He's He's changed. He, he, he steps up into the pocket and lets it go. Um, whereas earlier in the season, he was hesitant, tentative. Um, you know, he, he would step up and, and then really just not trust what he was seeing, not throw the ball. And for whatever reason, over the last seven weeks, he's, he's just been really in the zone in, in terms of what he sees downfield. And he's been accurate, too. So, um, you know, obviously, like I said, it's never one thing. But I think the, the two main things are they design, they design the offense to make him get rid of the ball a little bit quicker. And then the offensive line has improved a lot. And those have been the two big things. Very good. Well, Danny, I appreciate you joining us today. And uh, certainly always love having you on. And uh, I know we're not supposed to take sides, but selfishly pulling for the Seahawks a little bit so we can get you back in a couple weeks. All right? <laughs> all right. I appreciate that, guys. Thanks. Danny Kelly from FieldGoals.com. And you can also follow him on Twitter at FieldGoals. Uh, I do want to go over to our Harry Stamper All-Go Offensive Play of the Week right now. And, Mark, what do we have on tap? Well, Chuck, uh, first off, the uh, Harry Stamper All-Go Offensive Play of the Week is brought to us this week by NASA. And, look, typically we drop in a little witty line. The folks at NASA or Stamper Oil have been nice to let us, you know, have a little liberty with this. But so usually I'd say something like, you know, NASA helping you keep an eye on Clendathu or something. But I saw this on Twitter, and I just got to share it. I had no idea that this was true. But there was a, a photo on Twitter about all the improvements in commercial aviation that are due to research by NASA, like things like in-flight wind shear indicators and in-flight ice detection. I had no idea about that. It's okay. really cool. You can find it on my Twitter feed. And for a guy like me who's terrified about flying, <laughs> that was great to see. So NASA, you know, kudos to you guys, the men and women over there keeping guys like me, this, you know, white knuckle flyer here, feeling a little bit better about being in the sky. So. Just had to, you know. Whatever it takes to, to help that. you sleep at night, right? Whatever it takes to get me on a plane, man. That's, That's true. More like it. That's yeah. true. 
But um, we're looking at a play this week from the Bengals. They beat the Ravens to um, – they were trying to win that, you know, first-round bye. Unfortunately, Denver's win. The Bengals didn't get it, you know, unfortunately for the Bengals and their fans. But they were down 6 nothing early in that game, but they scored on a, uh, a four-verticals route uh, late in the f- second quarter. Um, so we've got an article up on that up and inside the pylon. And, you know, it's just a nice little design. David Archibald's written a lot about Hugh Jackson and what he's put together for the Bengals this year and their offense. And what they do here is they run the four verticals concept out of trips. And what's kind of crucial to that is the inside receiver in this design, they can't just release straight vertically because then you're going to have three vertical routes on one side of the field. So that's Mohamed Sanu. And what he does is you're taught to bend that to the opposite hash mark. So as he releases, he comes across the formation. And what this does is they've got sort of a hybrid coverage look. They've got the cornerback that's to the weak side of the formation, he's basically locked in man coverage on A.J. Green. They've got too high safety look with, you know, the cornerback that drops deep as well, almost like a cover six scheme. So as Sanu drops across that formation, as he comes across the field bending that vertical route, not only does the linebacker drop with him, but both safeties pinch as well. The backside safety comes over a little bit, and even that play side safety takes just one or two steps towards Sanu's route. What that does, it opens up just enough room for Tyler Efert. He's running that other seam route uh, from the inside, middle trips receiver, basically. And A.J. McCarron hits him in stride. Nicely designed play, executed perfectly, takes advantage of just these tiny little shifts by the defenders in coverage. And it's the TD that gives him the lead right before the half. What did you see from uh, McCarron in particular on this play? I know we've talked previously on this show uh, about the concept of things like bird dogging and so forth. What did you see in terms of the little things that a QB can do to, to make a play like this work? Well, I mean, when you're running this four vertical concept, and it's something that teams have been running at all levels. I mean, this is something that I ran in college years ago, God, many years ago. I'm getting old, my friend. But the quarterback's kind of taught to look the safeties off, influence the safeties a little bit, and then come back to your target. So that's what he's trying to do here. He's trying to draw the safety's attention to Mohamed Sanu on that kind of bent vertical route. And he does a pretty good job of it here. Um, he's opening it up to the left side, the trip side, to try to, you know, that's his primary read there. So, yeah, he does a good job, influences them a bit, puts this football, places it well where Eifert can make a play on it for the touchdown. I mean, McCarron's a guy that when he was coming out of Alabama, I was pretty high on him. You know, there was a lot that I saw from him his senior year, particularly in that game against Auburn, even though they lost. You know, this was on an Alabama team that, you know, Nick Saban kind of put that game on him, and he responded in that game. You know, he made a lot of good plays in the passing game. He's a guy that I thought could run a pro-style offense. He missed last year with a shoulder injury. But, you know, Cincinnati's kind of in good hands, I think, at the quarterback position right now. Dalton took a big step forward this year, and they've got McCarron, who looks like a guy that they can sort of bring him along slowly. I think it's good for him that he's getting some action this season. It bodes well for their future. Yeah, it's. I think I've been. Uh, I've only watched one of the Cincinnati games in full since McCarron has taken over. But just from my limited understanding as a kicker, I'll tell you that I've been impressed with what I've seen from him. Seems to be accurate, strong decision maker in the pocket, and uh, I can I can definitely see uh, that he's at least proven that he can compete at the NFL level here. So uh, I do want to go to our second guest now. It is Trevor Sakema from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. You can also follow him on Twitter at Trevor Sakema. And Trevor, appreciate you joining us. Yeah, guys, thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How are you today? Good? I'm doing well. 
Outstanding. Well, I can tell you it appears that for this national championship game that we have coming up on Monday, uh, I don't think there's any disagreement that we have the two best teams in the country facing off. Is that right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I, I originally thought that this Oklahoma team looked like it could have been a dangerous one and possibly a national championship contender, but holy cow, were they weak in the trenches, especially offensively, and Clemson really exposed them on that one. So I am a firm believer after that game that we really do have the uh, the best two teams in the country. Though you could argue Ohio State, but at the end of the day, they didn't play to where their talent was. So um, if you ask me, they got it right this year. Now, when you look at, I guess, the, the, the biggest matchup that is going to uh, decide this game, what, what do you see as uh, really the, the biggest and most important clash we're going to see here? Well, Tennessee, or I'm sorry, um, that was actually the example that I was going to give you. Clemson's defensive line uh, is very similar to Tennessee, and their offensive attack is also sort of similar to Tennessee's. And ironically, that's the team that kind of gave Alabama a hard time earlier in the year. He's starting out. Uh, with the defensive line, you have guys like Shaq Lawson, who um, I believe they said he's going to play in the national championship game, which they really need him. Going up against an Alabama offensive line that has gotten better and better as the year has gone on. So um, a, a lot of people think that, you know, the reason why Derrick Henry was able to do so well and the reason why they focused so much on the run game is because of that offensive line. But really, uh, they're very versatile. They're not just a run-blocking uh, offensive line unit they can really open up the passing game to it and, and that's been huge for Alabama to be able to have enough time for a quarterback like Jake Coker to make things happen uh, connecting with you know Ridley or Drake and, and so that offensive line defensive line matchup is going to be huge as well as Alabama's defense going up against the rushing uh, kind of option attack that Clemson has it's going to be the best option attack they've faced this year and the other one the one that Tennessee was hurt and Dobbs really gave them some trouble so I expect them to handle it a little bit better than they did with Tennessee but those two matchups on those sides of the ball are absolutely going to be the ones that are going to determine this game. Trevor, looking at the matchup between this Alabama defense and this Clemson offense, you know, in recent weeks, Alabama, they've played, they played Florida in the SEC championship game. It didn't have a ton of weapons, with, especially with Harris, who was struggling a quarterback in that game. You know, last week they had Michigan State that looked like they needed one more piece in the receiving core. Might this be like the most complete set of weapons that Alabama has seen from an offense recently? Will that give them trouble? I, I, I certainly think that it is the most complete offense uh, that they will have probably played this season. And a big reason for that is because they're going to play the best quarterback that they've played this season as well. And um, Watson's no joke. Uh, he's he's going to bring a lot to the table and a lot for Alabama to try to handle, um, not only as a passer, but uh, in that option attack as well. So um, I do think that it's probably it's going to be Alabama's toughest test this far. Um, mainly also because of the running back, uh, Galman. He was a stud uh, last week in that semifinal game. He really, really impressed me. I know a lot of NFL draft people, uh, their eyes got wide when he, they saw him doing the things that he was doing. So I think it's a combination, and like you said, really that complete offense of everything that they bring to the table. They're not just a, an option rushing attack where, okay, we you can let off on the pass a little bit. You know, you can you can cheat to have your guys kind of staring into the backfield being ready for the run. You can't really do that eh, with Watson because he's going to make stuff happen with his legs and his arms. So uh, 
uh, that'll be a very interesting test for them coming up for sure. Trevor, a guy that I'm going to kind of keep an eye on during this game, I'm wondering if you feel the same way, is Clemson tight end Jordan Leggett. He's you know, an interesting tight end. He does a lot of things in the passing game. They do stuff with him off of play action. I'm kind of thinking he might be a guy that Clemson can look to to kind of get things going in the play action passing game, maybe work a little bit against those linebackers and get them moving in space and coverage. Do you think that's a guy that could be an X factor in this game? Uh, he certainly has a possibility to. Anytime you have a, a tight end who can um, really bring those kind of elements to an offense, there's something that require at least one, if not more, defenders to keep an eye on them. So whenever you have that kind of tight end, it certainly aids your offense. Uh, but Alabama, you know, they're so talented on defense that to get burned like that, it, you know, it, it, it's kind of rare this late in the season because the defense is clicking so well. They've, they've shown that they're not afraid to take a linebacker and put him on the play action because they trust their front four so much. They don't have to sell out with their linebackers or perhaps Eddie Jackson as their safety. They don't have to sell those guys out in order to stop the run. So they've been so stout with four or five players that when it comes to a receiving tight end, even though they can be a great asset, it might he might not be as much of an asset as we've seen in the past because Alabama's proven that they don't need to uh, take an extra guy to really cover him. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. Obviously, anytime you have an added X factor like that, a guy who can Cool the defense, and that's a big thing in college football is really being able to outthink where the defense is going. Um, that's, a, that's a great asset to have, but I will say that Alabama will cover him, or should in theory cover him, better than anyone has up to this point. Trevor, with this uh, expected to be a, a pretty close game here between two fairly, uh, you know, pretty evenly matched teams, who gets the edge when we talk about things like special teams, either in the return game, the kicking game? What are your thoughts there? Well, I think that I just think that Alabama is so sound on on so many different dimensions of the ball. They have so many playmakers that not only play on defense or offense, but they also play on special teams. Those are the same guys that I'm looking for to make those plays, maybe as a gunner getting down and making it a solid tackle, or if they ever put Calvin Ridley back in the return game. Those are explosive players on both sides of special teams that I really feel gives Alabama that little tip. But like you said, man, it is so even between these teams. Uh, it, it, might take, it might take a special teams play here and there, but I, if you're asking me to give that in favor of one team or another, I'm going to give it to Alabama simply because when I look at that roster and the players that are going to play on both sides of special teams as well as uh, the unit that they're on, I'm going to give it to them because their talent is so crazy this year. Now, now, Trevor, we don't typically do predictions or anything like that on the show. We don't believe in that because we, you know, we know everyone is wrong at some point, me more often than not, but that's besides <laughs> the point. If you had to give the edge to one team, it sounds like you're probably leaning in Alabama's direction, though. If I, if I had to make a prediction right now, which, to be fair, I would probably change my prediction in 20 minutes, and then 20 minutes after <laughs> You and that, me both. After that, I would probably, yeah. I, I'm leaning towards Alabama because, you know, the reason why Oklahoma fell as hard as they did was because they simply just got mauled in the trenches. And when I look at Alabama, an offensive line unit and a defensive line unit like they have, it's just it's so hard to pick against them uh, because they're going to dominate the line of scrimmage so much, or in theory, they really should. This defensive line is just, it, it's 
it's almost seven or eight NFL players deep. And to think about that is absolutely crazy. A lot of people talk about um, the 2012 Alabama defense when they reference the one that they're seeing this year. The offensive line struggled a little bit earlier this year, but like I said, they're in such a groove right now, not only with the running game, but with some of the trick plays or wide receiver screens, wide receiver reverses. They are all, uh, they know exactly what they're doing. And when I look at the trenches, I can't help but pick Alabama, although I do love Clemson. I just think it's going to be too much for them to overcome. Very good. Well, Trevor, thanks for joining us, and uh, certainly enjoy the game. We'll talk to you soon, all right? All right. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Trevor. Trevor Sakema from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Trevor Sakema. Uh, and I can tell you, Mark, I'm, I'm pretty excited for this game just after talking about it for the last 10 minutes now. Start, yeah, I'm pretty fired up. Starting to get me jacked up, so that'll be uh, on Monday night, and I can tell you that I already have uh, the TV, my spot on the couch, all picked out there. Um, let's talk a little bit of glossary here, and specifically, uh, you know, for those of you who listen to our show regularly, we typically cover one of the terms from our glossary every week. That is up on InsideThePylon.com, right at the glossary tab at the top if you want to click over there and take a look. Uh, and today, Mark, we're covering the split zone. Yeah, we're covering the split zone in our glossary, which is something um, that we've been doing with the Scouting Academy. Um, the guys over there, they've got a new semester started, and there's a couple, a handful of seats left, I think, so you should check them out if you're interested in what they're doing. Great way to learn about the game. And one of the things you can learn about is the split zone design. It's When you talk about zone running plays and zone blocking, um, you, what you typically think of is you see the offensive line all kind of fire out in unison to one side or the other, um, not really responsible for an individual man and man blocking schemes or power blocking schemes, but they're kind of flowing in unison. There isn't a designed hole. Running back gets the ball and has a couple of reads that he can make. Well, a variant of that is what we call the split zone. And what you typically see on a zone block and play is on the back side, you typically see cut blocks from, say, the right tackle and the right guard. They'll execute cut blocks on the back side to try to get those defenders to the turf and prevent any sort of pursuit from the back side. While well, in a split, zo- split, block and de- split zone block and design, what you see is those guys kind of go unblocked. So the offensive line, they'll all flow to the left, and you typically have either a tight end or an H-back type player that's lined up outside the left tackle in that sort of area, will come across the formation, and he's responsible for you know, blocking that backside defender, blocking that backside defensive end, and preventing sort of any pursuit on the play. What type of advantage does that give you instead of using uh, more of the cut block style there? Well, it's, it's, it's just a different way to kind of prevent the pursuit angle and kind of slow that backside defensive end down because when you think about how the zone run and plays typically work when the running back gets the football he's got three basic reads that he can make first is what's called typically the bang read which is he gets the ball and he just kind of continues straight where he was going so if he's headed sort of to the left side he just cuts it straight and goes sometimes you see what's called the bounce read where if there's sort of traffic on the inside he'll bounce the run towards the outside to the sideline and try to get something around the edge if there's clogged traffic in the middle but the third read is what we call the bend read and that's kind of where the running back will get the football sees traffic in the interior but sees a cutback lane so he'll bend the run back towards that backside defensive end now if that backside defensive end has been unblocked, and he's able to make a play, that's going to shut that down pretty quickly. So a way to slow that guy down is by cut blocking him, cut blocking him, or sometimes he thinks he's got a free runner, got a free run at the running back, but then boom, there comes the tight end from the other side of the formation. It's just one more thing to give that player something to think about and sort of change his perception on each play. 
Outstanding. And certainly, if any of our listeners do want to check that out, every single term that Mark just defined here is up on our site at InsideThePylon.com. So just wander over there. You can get it all in written and in visual format. If you're more of a visual learner like myself, that's the way you want to go. We have everything that you need there in order to get up to speed. Mark, I guess, you know, you're starting to do some draft work at this point as well. Um, I know, obviously, you're, you're focused on quarterbacks. You've been looking at uh, Dak Prescott this week, right? Yeah, I've been taking some time to look at Dak Prescott. I went through uh, some of his games from last season uh, and getting into some of his tape from 2015. I mean, he's a he's an interesting prospect. I mean, you know, uh, there's kind of we've come to a consensus I think most people have on there's sort of like the top four quarterbacks that we're looking at and you know Jared Goff, Paxton Lynch, um, Carson Wentz who you know I'm pretty high on and Connor Cook but I think there's that next sort of tier of quarterbacks there are some interesting prospects there and I think that's where Prescott kind of fits in there are some things that that he does that I'm very impressed with something I'm going to be working on try to get something out on inside the pylon this week about how he sort of manipulates defenses. It's something that I don't think he gets a lot of credit for, but it's sort of built into that Mississippi State offense where they run a lot of package plays. They'll have bubble screens set up to both sides of the field, or they'll have a screen to one side and then a vertical pass structure to the other side of the field. So he's it's built into each play where he's going to look the free safety off to one side or the other, and it carries over into the just the plain old drop-back passing game. It's something that... I think he does very well manipulating defenses with his helmet, with his head, and with his field of vision. So, you know, he's a guy that I think is in that sort of next tier of quarterbacks that you look at maybe like a third-round selection that sort of like Brett Hundley last year, a guy that a team could take and maybe take a year or two to kind of bring him on and develop him a little bit. Yeah, and definitely uh, this will be something that we're going to be looking at. Uh, pretty much we're going to really start digging into our draft coverage after the Super Bowl. Uh, but now with uh, about five minutes left today in our show – I do want to dig into some of the key matchups uh, that we have coming up for Wild Card Weekend. Obviously, first weekend of the playoffs. If you can't get excited for that, you probably shouldn't be watching football. Um, but let's talk about what's your key matchup that you have here this weekend, Mark? I mean, there are a number that I'm kind of looking at. I mean, I, I mentioned one earlier, and that's sort of that young Minnesota linebacking core against the Seattle offense. You know, Seattle likes to do a lot of play action, a lot of, you know, establish the run work uh, play action off of that. That's something I'm looking at. I'm really interested in to see Kirk Cousins and his, you know, his, his playoff debut. He's kind of been my white whale. I've written about Kirk Cousins a ton. I'm very interested to see what Washington has in store for that Green Bay off for that, for that Green Bay defense. Um, and then, you know, that, that matchup between Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, I mean, that, you know, Pittsburgh looks to be a pretty good offense. I mean, they've got some weapons. How are they going to match up with that Cincinnati defense? Um, we got some really good matchups. What are you looking at? Well, I'll tell you, I've, I've got one. There's really two matchups on the special team side of things that I am interested to see. The first one is actually going to be inside uh, that Green Bay versus Washington game. And in particular, I'm looking at the matchup on the punt units between Green Bay and the return unit uh, for Washington. Tim Maste, uh has not had a very strong leg this year. He has struggled uh, to really generate any type of distance when punting from deep in his own territory and also has struggled with his distance control down uh, a little bit further down the field, resulting in uh, about 24% of his kicks uh, ending up in touchbacks when kicking from in front of his 40-yard line. So I'm curious to see if the Green Bay offense has some struggles here. That could be an Achilles heel there with a potentially dangerous returner in Jamison Crowder for Washington here. Also, 
taking a look at that Seattle versus Minnesota game, want to see how exactly the Seattle punt team comes out. They typically are a team that kicks an awful lot to one place on the field. They typically kick right at the left numbers, and I want to see if that is going to be their strategy against Minnesota, simply because when you talk about the Minnesota Vikings, it's a team that struggled a little bit to generate consistent offense over the course of the year. But if you do go and take a look at them uh, on punt returns, they have uh, Marcus Shirelles back there, who has already taken one kick back for a touchdown this year, is a dangerous return man, and I wonder if they're going to change up the strategy a little bit to deal with him. That's something I'll be looking for in that game, too. This weekend, you know, obviously when we get to the playoffs, you get more evenly matched teams, and sometimes there's a special teams player or a returner that can change the course of a playoff game. I mean, just think Desmond Packer, Desmond Howard and the Super Bowl win that the Packers had over the Patriots. Sure. Is there a guy this weekend that could possibly shift the course of a game in the return game? I think when we talk about returners, Minnesota's got two that are both dangerous. You talk about Shirelles on punt returns, and then you got Corderell Patterson who's taken two back on kickoffs this year. Both of those guys, if Minnesota is going to be able to compete in this game, I think they need to get outsized performances on special teams from both of those guys in order to be able to really generate enough offense uh, you know, to, to compete against the Seattle team here. That's one place that I think they can really make a difference. You also talk about that Minnesota team, though, and Blair Walsh, who is very strong kicker on field goals, uh, about 89% this year, uh, or rather 87% this year, has missed four extra points. He's one of five kickers in the league below 90% on extra points. You talk about the longer extra point and the impact it can have in a playoff game, that's the type of thing that I really want to see now because previously we didn't have to deal with that in playoff games. When these games get tight, I want to see how these kickers do, and he's going to be one that I'm focusing on when I, uh, when I watch the games this week. Are there any other matchups that you're looking at, you know, either not even just from a special teams perspective, but from, you know, you know, offense versus defense or anything like that? Uh, why would I watch any of those phases? Well, I mean, you know, you can't always be in, you know, in the kitchen getting the, you know, soda or something from the fridge. I mean, you got to watch the rest of the game, right? Yeah, I think when I when I look at what's going on this weekend, I do want to see if that Packers offense can bounce back here. And, you know, I'm going to be curious to see if Aaron Rodgers is able to find any type of rhythm with his receivers just because they've they've struggled for so long. I don't have a ton of of hope there, but it will be something uh, that I am watching. Any last matchups that you want to take a look at? I mean, I'm interested to see kind of what Kansas City does. You know, they're going up against J.J. Watt and that defense. Um, interested to see if they have something up their sleeve to kind of, you know, not corral Watt so much, but kind of slow down his pass rush and get their, you know, keep their passing game rolling and that run game rolling as well. I mean, you know, that's kind of, you know, if you look at all four of these games, that might be the least interesting of the crew. But, I mean, that's going to be a good matchup as well. I mean, that Kansas City team, that's a very hot team that people aren't really talking about. No, it's, it's, it definitely is a team that uh, has really picked it up really over the last two-thirds of the season, and I'll be curious to see how they're able to do in the playoffs now. But we are out of time for the day, Mark. Another good show, my friend. we got a great weekend of football ahead of us, too. Great weekend of football. To anyone out there watching, hope you enjoy the games as much as we are going to. We will be back next week with our full-length podcast. Also, going to be debuting some shorter podcasts on a daily basis coming up pretty soon as well. We'll get you more info on that. You can, as always, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at ITPylon, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash insidethepylon, and keep going to insidethepylon.com every day for all the information that we put out. We'll see you after Wild Card Weekend from Inside the Pylon, the podcast.